Optophobia, the fear of opening one's eyes. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you, our listeners, to move beyond that fear, to solve riddles they don't want us to unriddle, to investigate supposedly ironclad truths, to unearth evidence buried for so long they believed it would stay buried. Season 3. It started with a deranged Oregon magician who bit the head off a ferret during a holiday show for children. At least that's what we've been told. Since then, the disease called Kofefi-19 has raged across the globe. Yes, the virus has separated us, isolated us, shaken us. But it can't take away our sense of incredulity. We know that 5G cell waves make us more susceptible to the virus. That doctors Deborah Burks and Anthony Fauci lead the medical wing of the deep state. And that Bill Gates is seeding the eventual vaccine with nanocrystals to track our locations 24-7. We've been told less about the Redmond Institute of Virology, an Oregon-based BSL-4-level biosafety facility that just happens to experiment with ferrets. This season on Optophobia, we'll track down the distortions, the assumptions, the omissions. Are you bored by the lies? Open your eyes. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Dennis Becker. Mars is the only other planet in our solar system that had liquid water on its surface. For that reason, Mars has been a source of mystery, conjecture, and hope for people who populate this planet. But what if Martian water wasn't gone? And what if it wasn't water? And what if whatever it was caused very bad things to happen? That's what we're going to talk about with our guest today. But before we do that, I want to welcome my co-host for this week, New York City bagel artist, Gino Romero. Hey, Gino. Hey, what's going on there, uh, Dennis? What's up? It's Gino. How's progress going toward your bagel sommelier degree? The fine progress. The last time we talked, you you were talking a little bit about how uh, you'd gotten to a point in your coursework. My credit hours. Your credit hours that you could actually, somebody might tell you that this is a bran muffin bagel. And so you would put it in your mouth blindfolded and be able to say, yes, that is true. Yes. Uh, but you were not yet at the point where you could, you had a blind tasting, you were just trying bagels and you could put one of those in your mouth and just say, that's what it is without somebody. As coming. of right now, I have not progressed past that stage. I did another blind testing where they put sesame seeds on the bagel and I could not taste the sesame seeds. Uh, but that's that's mostly my fault. I don't eat a lot of foods that have sesame seeds on them. So I feel like that was kind of a trick trick question that they gave me. They like it's technically still a plain bagel if you think about it. I mean, sesame is not really a flavor. It's like rose is not a real you know, rose hip water doesn't really have any flavor. It's just water really, with like 
dead rose petals in it. Right. They gave me a bagel. It was kind of a, I, I feel like it was kind of like set me up to fail, but uh, yeah, I get to, uh, I get to retest in, in a week and a half. So we'll see what's going on. I, I just need to get my mind together. So I've, I've gone on a vacation to Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. So right now I'm in Martha's Vineyard uh, and I'm written out this uh, everything, but everything bagels uh, vacation house. Oh, they have their own, they've got their own place in Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. Well, the CEO does. Yeah. Oh, and they, they allow employees to use it. Yeah. He charges double what it actually costs to rent, but you get to use it for a weekend. And, uh, you know, it's worth the money just to get away and get, get away from the hustle and bustle of the city and of the Bronx. And then just, you know, relax. I don't even think about the money I spent to be up there. How come the employees wouldn't just rent the house under a different name uh, for half the price of what he would charge employees. So here's the thing. I, I tried doing that. I, uh, I changed my name from Gino Romero to Reno Jomero and he figured it out immediately. How, wow. He's quick. Yeah. So I, I was like, egg on my face and now I'm paying double, but I said, I still want to get away. So, I still, I, I still paid. Is your goal once you become a bagel sommelier to one day have your own bagel business, or is it to work as a sommelier, a bagel sommelier, in a really high end bagel shop? So I think the goal of every bagel sommelier is once you become a bagel sommelier, once you make it, it's similar to like anyone who becomes a doctor. And you immediately got to change your life. So you dump whoever you're with because you're so much better than them at this point. And then you go find like supermodels and you move to, to Paris. So that's my goal. My goal is if once I become a bagel sommelier, I move to where bagels are, they reign supreme right next to croissants. And that's Paris, France. Okay, that's where I'm going. And I want to study under, you know, some of the top bagel sommeliers there are. You know, you've got uh, Jean-Juc Hole in the Middle. Um, you've got um, Jacques Boilet. So, you you know, you got some of the top bagel sommeliers in the world in Paris. And so that's what I wanted. So you'd work and sort of train under some of the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd work, train, probably be, you know, disrespected because that's how bagel shops work. You know, when you work at the top, the chefs, uh, they disrespect you. They talk down to you. They really like just destroy you so they can build you up into what they want you to be. And it's great. A lot of people think it's toxic. It's not toxic. It's great. It's how you learn to shed all kinds of self-esteem just for a goal that no one but you cares about. And then at some point, I'm assuming after all of that trial, you you open your own bagel shop. Yeah, I'm thinking 30 years in the future. So when I'm 48, I think uh, I'll be ready. Well, that's quite a dream. Yeah, you know, it's uh, stuff like this keeps me going during this uh, crazy kofefe, you know. Let's uh, get to our guest. Unfortunately, this week's scheduled guest, Sand City, California-based hydraulic press operator Ronnie Pupples, was unable to make it today. Pupples has been making YouTube videos about his theory that Kofefi 19 will seem like a plain bagel compared to the next pandemic. Hey, Dennis, I have a question. Mm -hmm. I've been noticing, you know, every week we book a guest, and then that guest doesn't make it and then you're immediately able to get a second guest is that do you not find that weird that every time 
the guest that we're supposed to have doesn't make the show. I don't, and I, then we have to go with our second best guest. Is it every t- It doesn't feel like it's happened. I know it's happened a couple times. I don't know if it's happened. I mean, for me, it feels like it's every time you say, right before you're about to like introduce the guest, you're like, we were supposed to have this great guest, and then they bailed. So now we've got this second-rate guest. Well, no. I mean, I, usually the guests that we have on, and the couple of times that this has happened – have been better, I think, than the guests we had originally scheduled. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying second rate because they're second choice. They weren't our first guests, but the guests have been amazing. I'm just noticing that every time the guest cancels. Yeah, I, th- I think it's happened a couple times, but this time it did happen. And uh, Ronnie Pupples, very important YouTube star, uh, he believes that another pandemic is being planned right now in the Horn of Africa. And involves a pair of two 15-story Cold War-era parabolic radio antennas that will somehow trigger a highly infectious meteor shower. So Ronnie works for the Royal Garden Tobacco Company in Sand City, and he lost his job there. And now he's just driving in circles around a parking lot in town, uh, Winchell's Donut House. So I guess he was fired after his bosses watched a few of his YouTube videos in which he was also snorting enormous amounts of flaca and claiming to be Theodoric the Great, King of the Ostrogoths, region of the Visigoths, and Viceroy of the Byzantine Empire. So something snapped, it sounds like, uh, and Ronnie Pupples, but... We will try to get him on the show after he thoughts and prayers runs out of gas. Thoughts and prayers, indeed. But as you were saying before, uh, Gino, we were lucky enough to get an even better guest. Um, our producers found and booked from his home in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, Master Carmichael Carmichael's, who is with us now. Carmichael Carmichael's, welcome to Optophobia. Thanks, and um, if you can keep the master part in front of my name. I've earned that right to call myself that. And yeah, I just want to go back to a point that was made about being second best. My fiance is listening to this. And I understand that you guys didn't have like the person that you wanted, but I can assure you that Time Magazine, I've done publishings there and, um, and they see me as one of the next best science studies managers. So I just want to point that out there. So you are getting somebody that is somebody that's damn strong. Yeah, no, I mean, we believe me, we were very excited to get you on the show. But why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and what you do in Johnstown? Uh, so I'm, I'm from Johnstown, and I am a um, engineering studies manager. I've been that for about 15 years now. And i um, I help other engineers uh, study uh, the planets in the solar system, uh, which is very important for us because that's the future frontier. I, like I said before, I have a fiance. Uh, she's from Johnstown as well. We both went to the same school and met. And, um, and here we are 15 years later. Um, I decided that I was going to propose to her. And uh, she said, yes. <laughs> so we have a lucky date. Um, Can I ask, how did you propose? Uh, so what I did was we did a scavenger hunt. Yeah, th- it was great. Uh, I had different clues about like how we met. Uh, we had our first tree. Uh, her name is Karen. 
obviously my name is Master Carmichael's Carmichael's. <laughs> but at the time I was not a master. Uh, before that, I was I wasn't even bachelor's Carmichael Carmichael because we met in school. Oh wait a second, are you are you called masters because you have a masters? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I sense a little bit of like a negative connotation. Coming no, from- no, no negative connotation. I didn't finish college. I dropped out because I knew what I wanted to be, so I didn't waste the money. But I just wanted to clear up that you were called master because you have a master's degree. Yeah. So I was going to be a doctor <laughs> and I chose not to be a doctor anymore because my school lost its credits. I did all the study for it. Hold on a second. How did school lose its credits? Uh, well, I mean, it is. these are things that happen. U.S. News and World Report came in and they did a study and they said, well, you know, there's too many schools that you can get a PhD from and they nicked us from the list. So when you were, when, before you got your master's degree, were you called bachelor Carmichael Carmichael's? Yes. I always go by the degree that I received. So at some point in time, you were called GD Carmichael Carmichael. I never got a GDE. Oh, did you get a diploma? No, I thought you meant like a GDE. No, a GED, a graduate equivalent diploma. Did you go to high school? Or did you go straight to college? No, I, I went to high school. I got a, high school diploma that okay so you're called a diploma carmichael carmichael's no i was no no the the degree name title starts in college well no i i got a degree in high school that's my only degree like when they ask me a degree it's a high school it's not it's a high school degree that's what they ask you they put it you put it on your resume they say uh education i say i say a high school degree um so anyways, my fiance and I, we, we, we've, we've known each other for a while. She's really dear to my heart. Does she have a master's? Does she go to college? So she's a doctor, and uh, but that's okay. So she finished the schooling that you couldn't finish? You know. So she's a PhD. She is, but she does not like to be called doctor in respect, you know, of me. Oh, okay. Got it. Master Carmichael Carmichaels, I'm wondering if you can tell us what, exactly a missile engineering studying manager does? So uh, what we do is uh, we work with uh, different missile firms from all over the United States. And name two. There is uh, Lockheed Hart and uh, Booz Revlon. Yeah, those are two major ones. Yeah, keep going. I tried to trip you up. I tried to trick you, but you you know your stuff. Keep going. Yeah, I mean... I, Anyways, we so I, I work hard with them. I work with their studies. I try to uh, groom people to be the next rocket scientist, and I do a really good job at it. So a studying manager actually manages the way other people study. Right. I mean, if you were wanted to do a Pythagorean theorem to find out the distance of the sun, then, you know, that's your way of studying it. You, you're not going to get there, right, obviously. But if you use like a a Zener transform equation, you know, an E versus MC squared, and then maybe you would, but you wouldn't know that if a person like me wasn't able to train you so that you understood that. You guys get that? I'm actually, I'm, I, I'm not sure why I would use uh, equals MC squared if I'm trying to figure that out. If I'm doing a calculation for energy, what, what does that have to do? And that's why I'm gainfully employed. Uh, because this allows me to explain to the unknown. Uh, my job is really a specialist kind of job. I mean, there's not many of us that are out there. Toot my own horn and slap my back <laughs> because it just makes me 
proud of the choices that I made. How did you decide to get into this career? Was there somebody who uh, inspired you, who was also a studying manager of some kind? How, how did you make this leap into missile engineering studying manager? So in the school that I went to, which was Johnstown University. Is that how it's pronounced? So I was a part of a fraternity called Gamma Ray. And uh, we always called it Johnstown University. Okay. It's a homage. So all my uh, Gamma Ray guys that are out there, that was for you. <laughs> I thought there was like four O's in this college name. Well, let's take a quick break. Hold, hold on before we do that. Yeah. Hey, Carmichael, Master Carmichael, Carmichael, what's your favorite bagel flavor? I like a plain bagel. Okay, let's go to break. Dennis, take us to break. All right, we'll be right back with Master Carmichael Carmichael's. Hey, we are back with our guest this week, Master Carmichael Carmichaels. Actually, how how do people call you by, like, if they're just using your first name, do they say Master Carmichael or do they say Master? Oh, it, it, so some people call me MCC. Oh. Fun fact about my name. So my mom actually had me in a car and uh, my dad's uh, name is Michael and um, he kind of like left her. I don't know. He freaked out. I was supposed to get his name, and then she had me in the car, so she kind of kept homage to his his last name. So that's how you have me. I'm confused. What? How does? Why is that? How do you come come up with Carl Michaels? Carl Michaels after that? Just because she had you in a car? Well, well. So originally, I was supposed to be Michael Carmichael's, and then she had me in the car. She names are a powerful thing. Okay, when you give someone a name. It's a nature thing. It's a, you know, they walk into that nature, just like Peter is faith, right? Uh, so you expect all Peters to be like a faith-based person. Yeah, I mean, I know about names. I mean, my name is Gino Romero. That translates into the golden one. So Does, does, does that really? I, I've studied Latin. I just seems. Yeah, Gino is the gold and then Romero is one. When you changed your name to get the, uh, to try to get your boss's house, what do you think Reno Jamero meant? Oh, when I changed, I, I uh, when I changed my name, I thought Reno Jamero uh, meant that I was the one golden. Yeah, well, that, that's logical. That makes sense. And I thought he'll never guess that it's me, and he knew right away. I, I felt very. I mean, I know I have a degree in high school, but I feel very dumb. So MCC, I want to get into your thoughts about Mars because I've read a, a little bit about them online, and they're fascinating. Can you take us back a little bit? into history about like when NASA found water or what they thought was water on Mars. Well, I can, yeah, I can take you back 20 years ago uh, when they put the spirit on Mars and they went over to the Olympus area of the Mars, which is, looks like what would be like an ocean. And uh, you don't tamper with something that is foreign like that. Um, Especially when we don't know the actual effects that will happen on you know, human beings, but they did, they shot payloads up there. They shot robotics and they brought some of those samples back and then decided the last mission, which they did actually at the beginning of this year, uh, was they put a man there to actually drill a hole. 
a robotic man to drill a hole. And the next thing you know, you bring that chemical back to earth, which is not used to that power or magnetism or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Atmosphere. Are you talking about atmosphere? Not, not atmosphere. It's um, uh, magnetic force field on the earth. And it does all types of constructive damage. And this is why we're in the situation we're in now. So when, when NASA found whatever it was on Mars, I mean, what was it? Was it some other kind of liquid that then caused these kind of radiation waves when it was exposed to the sun? I'll tell you exactly what it was. It was a nuclear desert sun dune. What, I'm sorry, what, what was it? Yeah, can you repeat that? A nuclear desert sun dune. A nuclear desert sun dune. Sun dune. Sun dune. Nuclear desert sun dune. Okay. Yeah. And so what they did was they brought it back here thinking that it would turn into a liquid, but it was a gas. It actually disintegrated into a gas. And anything that comes in contact with it now is the result of what's happening to millions and millions of people. Oh, I see. Okay. So there, there was some sort of dune that was found on Mars. They brought it back thinking it would be liquid that we could study, but it, it evaporated once it was in our atmosphere and then started causing... Kofefi 19. You heard what Mastid said. It's not the atmosphere. It's the electromagnetic force fields. Yeah. I know we, we, we've referred to it as atmosphere, but we only have uh, high school degrees. He's got a master's. It's not an atmosphere. That's, uh, that's the problem. It's not, I don't know what the media is trying to put out there, but it's not an atmosphere. Okay. It is a nuclear desert sun dune situation that is turned into a gas and is causing electromagnetic field. That's the problem. And once people realize that, then we can get the right people, like the politicians involved, to solve this problem. MCC, I got a question for you. Do you believe in gravity? Of course I believe in gravity. Yes. Yes, I believe in gravity. So you you believe in gravity, but you don't believe that the Earth has an atmosphere. I I didn't. It wasn't questioning about the, yes, the Earth has an atmosphere. I agree with that. I'm just lost on the magnetic force fields you're talking about. I don't know anything about these. And and this is why, like I mentioned before, maybe you need some training. And I I probably do. I I would love some, if you have some literature, I'd love to read it. Well, I actually do have a literature about it. And when I wrote it in my Time Magazine, uh, not my Time Magazine, but the Time Magazine. So MCC, when when this gas entered our atmosphere... Was it then that it became gas or was it gas before? I guess I'm just wondering about the form of this dune. Bingo, you got it. And then was it contained? Did the government contain it and now it's leaked out? No, it's not contained and it's still spreading now. What people don't even realize is that this thing absorbs into the eyeballs, okay? That's why you don't give a person good eye contact when you're walking down the street because you don't know who might actually be able to penetrate it into your eyeballs as well. That's how it spreads. It's so it leaked into somebody, and then people are spreading it by looking at each other. Eyeball penetration. You know that's a that's also something we got at everything by everything bagels. Uh, we have the uh, anytime you go to a bagel shop and you see that uh, you walk in, you see the display of bagels like lined up. That's called eyeball penetration. So when you walk in, your eyes are supposed to see good, delicious bagels, and it penetrates into your mind to say, "Oh, I want bagels." So it's the same kind of technique that we're using. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's the thing that is tearing nations apart now. Think about what we do. Uh, we meet 
uh, to create camaraderie. And, uh, and it's all about the eye contact. But now it's because there's so much eye contact in contact, you're getting a lot of people that are getting affected by it. And it's damaging a lot of lives. Could it be one of the reasons that they unleashed the gas was to, to make sure that we don't look at each other as much as we used to? Is there some reason for that? Bingo, you got it. It's exactly that. So that the one person dominating, who we all know, and I'm not going to mention that person's name, because we all know who this person is, is trying to eliminate us completely. This is interesting. I deal with gases all the time. Like when we're, when we're uh, steaming the bagels before we uh, you know, put a topping on or something. Uh, I'm dealing with gases. I'm dealing with humidity. And, you know, you don't have time to make eye contact when you're boiling bagels. You don't. So, MCC, we're we're almost out of time, but I wanted to ask you one more question about the future and these gases, these dune gases from Mars. Is it too late to contain them? Is it, or how do we get it back in the box? Is that the only way that that we get some sort of antidote to Kofevi nineteen? How does this end? Well, it's very simple, but I don't know if people will do it. It's, we need to start wearing eye covers when we go out. Like people can't look at each other. Oh, you mean like pirates? Yeah, but more sophisticated, uh, you know, eye covers in both eyes. Don't look at your partners. And we need to do that for at least 97 days. If we can do that all as a nation or as, as, as human beings for 97 days, this can be defeated. I don't think that's going to happen. If I know people... If you tell them to put any kind of covering that is even minimally invasive on their face, people like will protest that. Well, they shouldn't protest it because there's lives at stake and, and people need to realize that that's the only solution. It's 97 days. Yeah, pe- people don't care that other people might be affected. If it doesn't affect them directly, people have a hard time. That's just human psychology. And I just know that because I got a degree in high school. Do you think if we, if we all wore blindfolds, for 97 days, there might actually be more death than Kofefi 19 is causing. Obviously, you should not be wearing a blindfold when you're driving. Oops. Okay. Okay. I've been doing that as part of my blind taste testing. We've been driving around and I've been blindfolded while I'm driving. While you're tasting the bagels? Well, yeah, while I'm tasting. I said, hey, I said, Hey, I got to do this uh, blind taste test, but I got delivery. So let's two birds, one stone, you know? So I get in the car, blindfold, start driving down the PCH. You're putting people at risk. Hopefully you're not killing anyone. I'm not, and I want to go on record saying that I'm not saying that people should drive with a blindfold. You don't cross the street with a blindfold on, but you definitely. Oops. Oh. I've done that. Because I get out of the truck that I'm delivering, I get the bagels, and I'm like, oh, this is the street we got to cross? I'm crossing. I'm blindfolded. So I've definitely done that. So I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do these things. Well, in a way, you're ahead of the game. Yeah, I'm ready to go. All right. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there for now. I want to thank our guest this week, Master Carmichael Carmichaels, and my co-host, Gino Romero. Gino, this is our last show together. So I just want to say um, a special thank you for your thought-provoking questions of our guests and good luck with your bagel sommelier hey thanks thanks so much and uh thanks for uh, having me on the show you know i'm just it's gonna be kind of weird because it's kind of become part of my routine 
So now it's just going to be me and the bagels, I guess. But um, yeah, I'll figure it out. But yeah, this has been great. You know? Well, I'm excited to hear what happens when once you get to Paris. Oh, yeah. I'll send a postcard. Excellent. Please join us next week for the final episode of this season, looking into Kofefi 19. Our guest will be Lynn Scrinch, a sales associate at Skytown Elevators in Mercyville, Arkansas, who believes the government has placed the NBA's most important players in a Disney World bubble so that if the rest of its citizens are obliterated by the virus, America can start over with a good chance of having a much taller population. Thank you for listening to Optophobia. I am Dennis Becker, and I will leave you with this. When a raccoon looks east, she is seeking the sea. If you've got theories about Kofefi 19, we'd like to hear them. You can find us on our website, optophobia.org, or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at, at optophobes. And please subscribe and rate the show if you like it. Thank you to Darnell Eaton, who played Master Carmichael Carmichaels. Darnell performs with Washington Improv Theater Ensemble team, iMusical. Follow him on Instagram at at DarnellDE. Jamal Newman played Gino Romero. Jamal performs with Lena Dunham and Nixon. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at at HelloNewman and find him at jamalnewman.com. Optophobia was produced by Tim Townsend. Our music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Cover art by Claire Smalley. Website by Chance Griffin. Thanks for listening. Until next week, keep them open.